Let's start the fucking show, eh? Welcome in. Welcome back to Revolutionary Roulette. I'm Rob Zielinski. You can find me on Twitter at Rob Zielinski. Follow the show on Instagram at Revolutionary Roulette or email us at revolutionaryroulette at gmail.com. And I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Mr. Joshua Catlow. Ladies and gentlemen, good evening. Uh, you can find me on Facebook at Joshua Patrick. Send me a friend request if you so choose. I am on Instagram, no request needed, uh, at Joshua Patrick as well. And finally, you can find me on Twitter at Joshua Catlow, arguing with Bears fans why we will not do anything in free agency this year and why the White Sox defense is not good enough to have them win the World Series. So uh, when we last left off on our bonus episode, we were talking about how the regulators were actually from Hillsboro, North Carolina, not Hudson Valley, not Hidden Valley, not the Ranch Valley. And they went to the courts downtown. They went to the courthouse, disrupted meetings, uh, caused the judge to flee, and the mob beat the shit out of two merchants, three three lawyers, and uh, looted the store. So what did the colonial leadership do about all this? Of course, and this has become a pattern by now, they passed legislation to make themselves feel safe and, and warm while they exploit the mechanics and uh, the servants and, uh, of course, the slaves. So they passed a an act, quote, to prevent riots and tumults, unquote, and the state was ready for battle. So a well-disciplined army defeated the regulators in a battle of uh, in the battle of May 1771 with cannons. Just for some context, there were about 8,000 taxable white men in the three counties where the regulators hailed and six to 7,000 supported the movement. So um, that that's just going to wrap up the story. Um, of the original regulators in a nutshell. Um, now you could go and, well, actually, your friends and tell them that the first regulators were a bunch of poor whites in North Carolina. And not a rap group That's in right. the 90s. Uh, right. Yeah, they were so far outnumbered that there wasn't really anything they could do about it. Um, as you said, they were... Uh, uh, about 85, 90% of the people in the area were um, ready and willing to fight against them and their cause. So um, yeah. you win some, you lose some. Most of the time, the poor people lose them. And that's another thing what happened in this uh, particular situation with the regulators. That's exactly right. So in regards to the revolutionary movement, the colonial leaders were dealing with a divided white population. Again, here in the North, they could get mechanics on their side because they were a middle class of people who actually had something to lose and felt obligated to fight the English. The issue for the independence movement was keeping hungry, poverty-stricken people under control following the French war crisis. Uh, so th these people 
of the poorest classes in uh, in Boston were both pissed at the colonial elites and the Brits. But the revolutionary or independence movement was like, hey, if we can harness this mob mentality and energy and direct it all towards England, but also contain it in a way that won't fuck up our shit, then we'll be cooking with gas. Uh, unfortunately, as we'll find out later, it didn't work so well initially. Um, but um, we'll get to that a little bit later in the in, in, in the program. So about 30% of the people in Boston had no taxable property. And if you didn't own any property, you couldn't go to town meetings and you couldn't fucking vote. Riots against the Stamp Act were sweeping across Boston in 16, I'm sorry, in 1767. And the colonial leaders were trying to walk along the fence by inciting mob action, but then close their eyes to see what would happen because it made them scared that the riots would turn against them and they could end up losing their wealth. Um, they were trying to play both sides, devil's advocate for both sides. And once again, as we've spoke upon earlier in the podcast, not today, but in episodes earlier, um, they did that quite often, whether it was uh, using the um, Appalachian Mountains against the American Indian, but also as a uh, teaser for them mm -hmm. as well, or um, indentured servants getting teased with the, the prospect of a normal life after four to seven years of a contract of slavery. Um, once again, uh, beating a dead horse, these are just tactics that have been used against the poor, the penniless, the propertyless for the start of the book. And we're only on page 70. <laughs> That's right. Uh, and uh, hundreds more to go. But uh, and pay attention here because there's a bit of a motif and we'll, we'll tie this in um, at the end of the episode. So there was this political group in Boston called the Loyal Nine, and they were made up of master craftsmen, ship owners, distillers and merchants. And they organized a procession to protest the, the Stamp Act. It started peacefully, but then the what they were called quote, amazingly inflamed people, um, as they were called, marched to the stamp master's house and burned some of his property. And I'm just kind of over here reading this like <laughs> the fucking devil horns. Yes, more of this, please. May I have another? Yeah. I would have uh, immediately set fire and said, uh, look for where the flames become the largest. And that's probably where they hide the good scotch. <laughs> that's so some, true. <laughs> some things are worth um, running into a burning building for. Children, <laughs> the good scotch. So, <laughs> of course, the, the rich retaliated. And they retaliated by setting up armed patrols. And, quote, now a town meeting was called. And the same leaders who had planned the demonstration denounced the violence and disavowed the actions of the crowd as a more 
as more demonstrations were planned for November 1st, 1765, when a stamp act was to go into effect and for Pope's Day, November 5th, steps were taken to keep things under control. A, a dinner was given for certain leaders of the rioters to win them over. Pope's Day sounds extremely scary to me, especially when we're getting ready to talk about a gentleman named Dick Hoarder. But uh, <laughs> I digress. So, so on top of that, now colonists had to quarter troops. And of course, this rubbed them the wrong way because of fucking course. Um, and, and these guys are now sleeping in my house on top of everything else. And... Jobs were scarce and soldiers were taking jobs from the workers and, and, and laborers. What, you want me to get a job? You want me to find a job? You want me to launch down into a job cannon and just fly where jobs <laughs> land over jobbies? <laughs> Sorry. So I it doesn't, um, even, even that doesn't even make sense because it's like, isn't their job to be soldiers? So what, like, aren't they getting paid by... The monarchy? Well, know, they should have been, uh, but yeah, they were being they, taken advantage again and double duty, double dip. Um, we're going to need you to finish your TPS reports and go ahead and fight <laughs> that battle while you're at it. And yeah. if you end up losing your life in the process, uh, you're right. Mad. You know, you're you're on you're on to something there. I didn't consider that. Maybe they were just double dipping and just trying to accumulate more wealth. Um, and they were they were getting paid from the monarchy and taking the jobs. Um, you know, I would have a, you know a little bit of sympathy for them uh, if they were getting stiffed by the monarchy, and now they're just they're also trying to survive. Sort of like, well, I need this fucking job, and I'm going to take it because I got this fucking red coat on. So, <laughs> so uh, most That's of a beautiful you, jacket. <laughs> most of you will or, or should remember this from grammar school, but on March 5th, 1770, the Boston Massacre happened. This is when rope maker workers got into a fight with the British soldiers. A crowd started provoking the soldiers, and the soldiers fired and shot and killed Crispus Attucks, uh, who was a mixed-race worker, and um, they killed other protesters as well. Sound familiar. Yeah. Uh, so, um, and just real quick here, here's another little, um, not so fun fact. John Adams, your second president of the United States was the fucking defense attorney for the British soldiers that massacred the people at the Boston massacre. John Adams played several different roles throughout the, transition of power if you will um yeah. role from, number one piece of shit yeah role number two piece of shit, uh, but piece of shit. <laughs> essentially he play, he went from uh devil's advocate to um leader of yeah we're gonna need the english to step up their game some of these guys are getting outlandish to um using thomas Paine to um collectively settle down uh, some of the people he was trying to get riled up. So, but mm -hmm. we'll get to that in a few minutes. So uh, another 
just little issue lingering over all of this was impressment. And impressment was the policy of the British capturing and forcing boys and men, both black and white, into naval service. So all through the 1760s, there were impressment riots, as well there should have been, because fuck all that. Um, there was a battle in New York six weeks before the Boston Massacre between seamen, <laughs> seamen and British soldiers, uh, again, because the soldiers were taking the jobs that were already scarce as fuck. So this conflict is just building and building from all these different angles. Uh, so now we arrive at December 1773 and the Boston Tea Party. So a quick sixth grade refresher from history.com here. The Boston Tea Party was a political protest that occurred on December 16th, 1773 at Griffin's Wharf in Boston, Massachusetts. American colonists frustrated and angry at Britain for imposing taxation without representation dumped 342 chests of tea imported by the British East India Company into the harbor. So the the Boston Tea Party basically led to England uh, declaring martial law, closing the port in Boston, dissolving any colonial government, and of course, sending in the Redcoats. But the Bostonian protesters persisted and it led to the resignation of certain officials. Other towns were like, fuck it, come here and, and protest with us too, but just don't destroy any private property. And that's that's a common theme, that the whole protect private property deal. Yeah, the aristocrats wanted to make sure that uh, you would be outraged to the extent of abundance against um, abundance against England, except they wanted to make sure that within your rage, you didn't mess up any of their property uh, to go along with. That's right. Yeah. There's, there's a number of fine lines that people are trying, trying to uh, walk along or, you know, told the proverbial line. So it turns out uh, a lot of the sons of liberty were just full of shit sons of bitches who mostly came from fucking money. Um, and their aim was to have a, a bigger tent for their organization and have a way to develop a base of supporters who were wage earners. So cut to Mr give me liberty or give me death, Patrick Henry, who had a knack for finding language that inspired people across the entire class spectrum and was, um, quote, specific in enough in its listing of grievances to charge people with anger against the British, vague enough to avoid class conflict among the rebels and stirring enough to build patriotic feeling for the resistance movement. It was almost as if they were using... Patrick Henry to um, it's not almost they were using Patrick Henry as a conduit between um, the American colonists and the upper class and the so-called middle class and the poor mm -hmm. um, just because he spoke with 
the type of diction and tone and inflection that the poor folks could understand, but he was knowledgeable enough to be part of the middle class or even the upper middle class, uh, despite his um, despite his uh, his candor. Right. So right now, what I'm going to do is I'm going to hand it over to you and drive the uh, the whole T pain pamphlet thing. Even though I already. <laughs> I won the uh, the pamphlet booklet. Yeah, I uh, argument. Uh, last week, Rob and I were having a discussion about the length of the Thomas Paine Common Sense pamphlet, which was printed in early 1776, and um, by early I mean January 10th, uh, 1776. Mm-hmm. And Rob said, are you sure that that three pages that you sent me was it? And I'm like, yeah, that's it. That's That was the Common Sense pamphlet. Well, uh, on that day, Common Sense did not win because it was a 47-page pamphlet <laughs> in which he used to help uh, American colonists, excuse me, um, to help... Um, What's the best word to better help serve the colonists to go against um, England? Um, So one of the quotes um, in here is society in every state is a blessing, but government, even in the best state, is but a necessary evil. So um, pain disposed of the divine right of the kings um, to have a complete rule over the people of the uh, of the land, and he wanted to bring it to a democracy. Um, John Adams makes himself known a little bit later on down the line, and was all for it. However, um, only if you would tone down the democracy to the level of we use that as a teaser to the people. And then you realize that the people that they're pandering towards didn't have enough wealth, property, or um, were African-American or American Indian and couldn't vote anyways. Right. So, um, but that's a little bit uh, later. Um, Thomas Paine dealt with the, particular advantages of sticking to England or being separated. Uh, He did know the importance of the economics of it. Um, One of the Mm -hmm. quotes from Zinn in this book, well, it would be from Payne, but uh, Zinn quoted it. I challenged the warmest advocate of the reconciliation to show a single advantage that this content can reap by being connected with Great Britain. I repeat the challenge. Not a single advantage is derived. Our corn will fetch the price in any European market and our imported goods must be paid for by where we will. So what he was essentially saying is, why are we letting these people control where we're giving our goods when no matter who's in the market for them, we're going to be able to charge and bring in our own wealth from them? because he understood the importance of the economics of the whole situation. Right. 
Um, Common Sense went through 25 different editions in 1976 and sold hundreds of thousands of copies. I wrote down somewhere. Um, give me one second. It was. I, mean, uh, I don't understand the whole like 25 editions in 1776. Like, what does that even mean? Like, well, I can like, explain that. There was some dumbass like me that probably <laughs> thought or misunderstood it. So they had to eradicate or um, revise each pamphlet to maybe dumb it down for people like me. Um, <laughs> or maybe what they had to do was change with the times uh, as far as, well, meeting places, if they included such things in there like uh, those okay. of you in, in in support of this pamphlet, uh, we're going to have a gathering to talk about our next steps at such and such and such. So that could have been reasons for 25 different. Okay. Um, that, make, that makes so much sense. I mean, obviously a lot can happen in one year as we exactly. saw last year, um, especially when you're changing uh, location. It's, it's contemporary and you're changing the location of meeting places, but also uh, you... I think you got it right where, um, you know, the, the pamphlet, Thomas Paine used words that barely literate folks would be able to understand. And, and that's kind of, you know, something that he did on purpose and mm -hmm. something that newspapers have always done on purpose. Like, it, you know, the uh, columnists, whomever, whoever's writing the content for the newspaper tend to write at sort of a, a third to you know fifth grade level so that everyday people can understand the news. Correct. Um, it said that they went over, or by the end of the year, like I said, it was published in uh, January 10th, 1776. By the end of the year, there was over 150 copies, 150,000 copies in circulation. Um, it was playing a crucial role in convincing uh, the colonists to take up arms versus England. Um, John Adams was quoted as saying that without the pen of common sense, the sword of Washington would have been raised in vain. Um, so essentially what he was saying is one, they decided to start the Revolutionary War that it would have all been for naught without this pamphlet of common sense uh, by Thomas Paine. And granted, um, this was the most influential and common way to communicate mm -hmm. back in the day. It was essentially the Chicago Tribune or the Sun-Times. This was their newspaper, um, printing pamphlets, getting them out on the street, handing out flyers was the best way to mass communicate with hundreds and thousands of people. Um, just a couple finishing thoughts on the uh, the pamphlet. Um, we said it went through 100, or excuse me, 25 different editions in 1776. From 1750 to 1776, 400 pamphlets had appeared arguing either one side or another on the Stamped Act or the Boston Mass Massacre. And um, mm -hmm. during it, um, Adams denounced Payne's plans as so dem democratic without any resistance or even an attempt at equilibrium or 
counterpoise that it must produce confusion and every evil work. Um, just to break that down real quick, that was the part where John Adams was saying that I like what you're doing here, trying to bring everybody together because that's what we need for the votes. However, tame it down a notch because people are going to start thinking that they're equal. That's how I took it. Yeah, um, no, that's how I took it too. So, uh, but that is the pamphlet called Common Sense, all three pages of which. Um, <laughs> so hopefully that gave you a little bit better understanding of the communications going on right before the Revolutionary War and uh, between John Adams and Thomas Paine. For sure. And the the whole, you know, common interest between all the colonizers um, was fucking fake. Right. So th that it, it was a myth. That part of the revolution was a myth. It was mostly just a, a ruse for colonial elites to have an excuse for separation from Great Britain with the support of all classes. It wasn't a united people. It was rich folks trying to live more comfortably and not be under the thumb of the English monarchy because of the economics they can make even more money um without having to give up some of the goods and taxes product to the monarchy when adams uh, denounced Payne's plan for the democratic democratic counterpoise mm -hmm. um he said popular popular assemblies needed to be checked adams thought because they were productive of hasty results and absurd judgments. Um, what he meant by absurd judgments was that, um, once again, the poor and common folk were uh, starting to understand what was going on. So, Yeah, and I think there, there's something else there that I, I, I kind of agree with, where if you have, like, let's say it, you know, a government is a uh, one state, you know, uh, one party state. Um, and let's uh, make it a fucking nightmare and say it's all conservative. So we're talking about if there's no um, checks and balances, if there's no other party um, to filibuster, whatnot, um, they're going to pass everything in their agenda. So bye-bye all uh, women's reproductive rights. Bye-bye LGBTQIA rights. Goodbye all, you know, uh, just about everything. And, uh, you know, end up in a fascistic state. Um, so there, there is some good that comes from a gridlocked uh Government. Well, it, it's not good when it's gridlocked, but it's good when there's some uh, pushback. So you don't make these hasty decisions and things become law and then uh, chaos ensues. So it, exactly. Um, and uh, everything you just previously mentioned was uh, we're dealing with right now in the um, in, in these times and they're having difficulty um, passing proper rights when we're supposed to be um more um 
knowledgeable individuals. Um, and without some of the gridlocks in which you were speaking of, um, whenever a Democrat or Republican House or Senate would have had control of the situation, it could have been just everything pass, 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 which was Rob was alluding to, which could be essentially a fucking nightmare. So, right. Um, yeah. There needs to be some kind of it's not good that we have complete gridlock. There just there should be some accountability sometimes. Exactly. Um, so. um yeah, it, I'm just going to go ahead and start um, going over the Declaration of Independence, and I'm just going to read the second paragraph, and then um, we will discuss. So, we hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness that to secure these rights, governments are instituted among men, deriving their just powers from the consent of the governed. And whenever any form of government becomes destructive of these ends, it is the right of the people to alter it or abolish it and to institute new government. So, ladies and gentlemen, it is in your Declaration of Independence that says we, the people, consent to be governed and once you um start doing all the things that the lobbyists tell you that your donors tell you to do and you're not doing the will of your constituents um maybe it's time to uh alter things a bit and it just it, it reminds me of um like uh, Joe Biden having a meeting in the during the primaries with his donors and telling them if I win nothing will fundamentally change and they got it right uh nothing has fundamentally changed um in fact Nor will in, it. It, right in some cases he is to the right of uh the previous shithead that was in office so um he was right that's exactly what they wanted because they need to keep their pockets fat and um that's why we're in some of the messes still that uh, that he inherited. We still, I mean, we're still talking about kids in cages at the at the border, and it just it it, it makes me feel numb every day to think about that stuff. And uh, you know, uh, our our country backing uh, you know the Colombian government, who is you know just going out there and massacring massacring their own people right now. This is why we're learning about this shit now. It's still happening. Um, we still back Israel and right now they are trying to, um, commit a complete ethnic cleansing of Palestinians. So like, you know, but God forbid, you know, we can't, we can't fuck with Israel because they buy, they, they buy so many arms from us and, you know, our, our, our friend, um, ally strategically. So we can't do that. Um, you know, and we're we, just going to have to turn a blind eye to this genocide. And Turkey in the same situation with uh, Armenia. Um, Turkey is an ally because mm -hmm. they vow to purchase so many Apache helicopters from us year after year. Um, that we're going to stay out of that one, even though. Right. Plus, they're, death, I think they're in the death, UN. Death, death. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I think that another thing, you know, it's hard to condemn 
other countries and, and, you know, uh, in the United Nations. But when they're doing something wrong, you need to fucking call it out. That's part of the collaboration. You have to have these difficult conversations. Anyway, I, you know, for, in regards to that, I, I, I digress, but just know, you know, that it, it, it was written by our forefathers. Um, you know, Sons of Liberty wrote this shit. It is the right of the people to alter it or abolish it and to institute new government. Um, We're still waiting on that because right. it's, we still need a fundamental change. I, I just want to make it abundantly clear that in one of the most prominent pieces of literature, um, I don't know if I would, would this be considered a government document? It, it, it's not really, it's just a declaration of our splitting um, from, from England. But anyway, in the first sentence of one of the most important pieces of historical literature, they lie to you within the first 10 words. Um, we hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal. Uh, first off, if that was the case, they didn't include over half the men or half the population in that sentence. Also, I don't know if you're aware, uh, but they left out women. I understand that that might not have been on purpose because of the way the verbiage was used in 1776. Um, men, um, it, it was just kind of a, a blanket statement. However, um, well, I one don't, of them. I don't think it was a blanket statement. I, 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 I think they were women were just not to be just complete af afterthoughts that they weren't actually considered so that, you know, they, they can't own property. Um, they can't vote. So they don't, again, they don't count. So women don't count. Uh, white servants don't count. Uh, so who's created equal? So, so nobody's fucking created equal. Yeah. So this let's is, scratch that out. And then let's take uh, <laughs> men deriving their, um, their just powers from the consent of the governed that whenever any form of government becomes destructive, that the people have the right to change it. Whenever any form of government becomes destructive, the people have the right to change it. One more time. Whenever the people have the right to change it. So you take that sentence out and... There's essentially three words to the first paragraph of the Declaration of Independence that aren't bullshit. Um, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Um, that's bullshit. Um, I mean, we're all allowed to chase happiness, but um, that let me retract. That's a bullshit statement. We are not. All white men are allowed. Um, finally, uh, we're, we're getting more equal with with white women, but uh, being able to chase, but they're not treated fairly either. So when it comes to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, for whom? 
for whom right. it's one group of people and it's been that way since 1776 right and i mean you can't even fully appreciate the part about life because a lot of times the government isn't even giving a fair chance at life for certain people because of the way you know uh resources are distributed in their area and you know medical whether it's an allocation of funds to impoverished neighborhoods whether it's a war right, being education. fought on behalf of oil um where they send 250,000 troops to fight for Halliburton stock and only 150,000 come home um People that put their life on the line for this country are dying for things that they don't, I don't want to say don't know about, but that's not what they've signed up for. Um, so right. uh, they I, don't I just care about a post today about a guy saying like, I served in the military. He's like, I thought it was going to give me a, a chance to uh, uh, take myself out of poverty. You know, it seemed like a good opportunity. And he said, but I, I wouldn't have taken that chance if I just knew that it, um, I was just basically be, being used um, kind of like as a, as a pawn to enrich the, you know, elites of, of this country, especially white elites. And this is, you know, this is coming from a uh, black American veteran. But you get free college afterwards. <sighs> yeah. And, and that, that's, that's back where I was going to say, like, you know, we don't even have a lot of people don't have a good chance at life. And we've covered this before, you know, there's no, uh, healthcare. So if you happen to have an accident, your life is basically over because you're going to be paying medical bills for the rest of your life. Not everybody has a, has a home. Not everybody, um, is food secure. So, um, the list goes on, goes on and on. Um, so let's, let's try to actually finally wrap up this goddamn chapter. So, um, Thomas Jefferson, we'll move on to, to Thomas Jefferson, another piece of shit, um, My guy. <laughs> in a, uh, draft paragraph, uh, of the declaration of independence to the King, uh, blamed the King for transporting black slaves to the colonies and then trying to prohibit the use of slaves. Um, and other slaveholders in the continental Congress, uh, we're like, hold up and shut the fuck up, Jefferson. Like, take that shit out of your draft. Um, it, you know, it's a it, it's a manifesto of freedom of the American Revolution, and that means whites who own land, and that's it. So stop trying to get rid of slavery just because, like, you know, you had uh, you owned hundreds of slaves for the longest time, and uh, you're rich now. Uh, doesn't mean we still don't want their free labor. And to pay off a tease from the uh, promotion of this week's episode of the podcast, um, I said, Thomas Jefferson, I'll tell you why Thomas Jefferson can gargle my ball bag. Well, it was essentially that because he had hundreds of slaves. And what you said was, pump the brakes, Tom. We know where you're full of shit. We see who's in your backyard working, but he was trying to pull the wool over everybody's eyes as to 
who he was actually fighting for when it came mm. to his words. And um, that just struck a chord with me. Even he's not the first, he won't be the last that we'll talk about throughout the course of this series, but it, uh, you're hard pressed if you're able to find one decent human being throughout the forefathers of this country. Right. And I mean, obviously you have to take things into context. This was the, you know, 1700s, but it's that's not the way that, they did things back yeah. then. So no. <laughs> the, the Declaration of Independence was made up uh, of the the philosophy that the government is created by the people who, again, consent to its governorship to secure life and happy uh, liberty and the pursuit of happiness. Um, and once it's no longer doing those things, it's to be overthrown. Um and again, if you, uh, you know, if you have to ask, it sound it's it certainly sounds like there's uh, reason for new government. And um, <laughs> that basically, this this government was built on a the foundation was built on on lies. So uh, false pretenses, false promises, lies, right? Um, and once again, the poor back. And and we're so close to uh, being able to hear the death rattle of capitalism and that change needs to happen fast. Um, again, I always bring up the, the whole um, environment thing because I got, I got little guys at home and I want them to have a, a world to live in um, for the rest of their lives, not just the next, few because like you know we might be <laughs> having fucking water world battles in uh you know 10 10 years or or less uh we don't know and um the science is pointing that uh, we don't have much time left so um let's change uh our consumption let's change the uh military consumption i mean they they pollute the world more than anybody, more than any corporation. And then after that, it's a handful of corporations that are also um, polluting the fuck out of the world. So these uh, incremental changes like uh, changing plastic straws to paper doesn't fucking mean anything. That's like uh, just this sort of lip service, bullshit, performative theater, symbolism, just shit. It's it something to distract the 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 public who are too busy in their everyday lives which we completely understand because you have to support your family and you have to work hard and you have to earn but it's something such a small change that doesn't essentially amount to jack shit in the grand scheme of things when you are paying attention to the bigger picture that's right um, and everybody should be taking uh you know their part doing their part you know it, it, even if it's just like recycling you know we, we throw the stuff in the recycle bin like yeah that's good and we pick up our trash and keep our our yards clean and uh community clean whatever but that shit doesn't matter the fucking the uh the bacteria in the ocean once it gets warm enough is going to destroy the ozone and it doesn't fucking matter after that okay the fucking plastic straws do not fucking matter. So 
I know I'm laughing. It's not a fucking laughing matter. Like I said, I laugh when I'm fucking pissed off or nervous or whatever, but it's just, it's such fucking bullshit. And we still have, you know, everyone went back to brunch when Joe Biden got fucking uh, elected president and he's still in the pocket of fucking big oil. And again, nothing fundamentally changing. Um, it added even more to the military budget, bigger than Trump's military budget. That's what they fucking signed off on. Um, so no, it's not time for fucking brunch and go back to sleep. You need to fight even fucking harder because it, it's almost like a sheep in wolves clothing as opposed to the fucking wolf in your face. The uh, second amendment was created to go against a tyrannical government. Um, you have the two way gun nuts out there who just think it's for their leisure activities, but essentially the tyrannical government is now, um, and it's been that way for centuries. Um, I'm not saying to take up arms against your government, but what I am saying is, is all these amendments that have been created are just tiny pieces of distraction to keep you away from realizing the bigger picture. That's right. And if you think you're going to pick up your gun and go and win against the American military, you're fucking wrong. Um, I don't care how many, you know, uh, AK-47s and AR-15s and how many, uh, you know, how much ammo you have stockpiled. Um, you know, maybe if there was like a uh, a civil war, that might be helpful to you. But if if, if it's the, the people in a actual battle against American military, you're not going to win that fight. At, you know, a hundred times out of a hundred, you will not fucking win that fight. So, um, <laughs> if that's your idea, don't go with it. We need, you know, uh, political revolution, whether that, you know, that just means like going, taking to the streets and, uh, blocking everything off until the fucking, uh, economy shuts down. Uh, again, what we talked about last week, general strike, uh, you know, striking from work, striking from, uh, consumption, um, Stuff like that Consumerism. can be helpful. So um, <laughs> again, let me try to let me try to take us home. Um, we got about nine minutes to go, and uh, I do want to read the last uh, two paragraphs. I usually go with the last paragraph to to wrap up uh, Zin's chapters, but these two um, are especially good. And, and before I do that, I just want to mention that movements like the Diggers and the the Levelers, um, who I came to know and love after uh, reading all this. Um, as we've discussed in, in previous episodes, they ended up uh, dissolved within the, the madness, the chaos of the American Revolution. Um, so the elites kind of got what they wanted. All that anger was directed towards uh, Great Britain, and those just kind of went to the wayside. So, um, so here we go to quote Zinn. In America, too, the reality behind the words of the Declaration of Independence which was issued in the same year as Adam Smith's capitalist manifesto, The Wealth of Nations, was that a rising class of important people needed to enlist on their side enough Americans to defeat England without disturbing too much of the uh, relations of wealth and power that had developed over 150 years of colonial history. Indeed, 69% of the signers of the Declaration of Independence had held colonial office under England. When the Declaration of Independence was read, 
with all its flaming radical language from the town hall balcony in Boston, it was read by Thomas Crafts, a member of the Loyal Nine Group, conservatives who had opposed militant action against the British. Four days after the reading, the Boston Committee of Correspondents ordered the townsmen to show up on the common for a military draft. The rich, it turned out, could avoid the draft by paying for substitutes the poor had to serve. This led to rioting and shouting, tyranny is tyranny, let it come from whom it may. So to break that down, um, the wealthy upper class had an array of outs, if you will, for a lack of a better term. Um, when it came to taking up arms um, for the draft, they were able to buy themselves out, which I think was a price of $300. If they were to pay $300 or, um, I'm not sure what the amount was, but for some reason that number sticking out, they were able to put somebody in their place and still stick to their aristocratic comforts that they've grown accustomed to. Yeah. Um, that was one of them. And then when you were reading uh, um, The Wealth of the Nation, 69% um, of the signers of the Declaration of, Declaration of Independence had held colonial office under England. Once again, the best of both worlds. So if we're fighting against that and soon to start the American Revolution, um, what exactly were you holding office for under the same people you're getting ready to take up arms against? Yeah. Or at least by yourself out of taking up arms against right it, you know when you're when you learn this history in school you're just you're thinking that these these revolutionaries these sons of liberty are just guys who want to fight and um even you know the musical uh hamilton you know it just makes you think like these guys are just like Meeting in taverns and are, you know, uh, saying like, hey, we need to uh, stop this tyranny. We need, you know, better quality of life. And, you know, maybe let's let's fight together. And um, no, I, I mean, they, these guys were fucking most of them had money um, and held office. Um, I know they held office in the colonies, but, um, you know, held office under under England. And it's just like. When, when you learn this shit, these details, like 69% noise, that so many of them were, like, had relationship with Britain and weren't just pure revolutionaries. It's just, it's like, what the fuck? <laughs> I just can't believe, you know, I know I read this book last year, but now, like, really going through it in, in a granular sense. Um, it's, it's infuriating and it, there's, there's really no reason to get too mad about it. What are you like? What are we going to do? It's just what we're going to learn from it, but I can't help. Like my, my face feels hot because 
because <laughs> I'm mad just reading this shit over and over. Um, I, I agree with you. I mean, nobody has a backbone or a spine. The opinions and the attitudes and the policy of the people in the 1700s changed like the wind. Yeah. So at one minute, Thomas Paine is a godsend. Mm -hmm. He's essentially there to rally the troops, speak to the common folk, um, talk those who are of lower class into fighting with the aristocratics um, to help overcome Great Britain. And then John Adams is like, slow your role, player. Yeah. We don't need all that. Um, <laughs> it's great that you're trying to talk them into thinking they're equal, but I need my grass mowed in the morning. So, yeah. yeah it, um, I know that's dumbed down simpler terms, but that's essentially what was going on with everybody that we right. speak of. And that's, yeah, that's when I say thing. that. When I say that the, it, you're hard pressed to find one decent human being throughout the course of our our, our forefathers it, throughout history, that's not an exaggeration. And I've been putting a lot of thought into it. I think Benjamin Franklin might have been one A, like <laughs> yeah, tip top. But yeah, I'm not gonna. It. Right. I'm not going to say anything until I do more digging. And, you know, this actually makes me want to uh, research John Adams a bit more. But uh, two more uh, quotes. I researched them. Uh, I said, fuck them. <laughs> uh, so let me just read these quotes. I, ha I have them highlighted um, just in not case right. we can get to them. But now this is uh, uh, pertinent information. Quote, once the revolution was underway, Payne more and more made it clear that he was not for the crowd action of lower class people. Payne became an associate of one of the wealthiest men in Pennsylvania, Robert Morris, and a supporter of Morris's creation, the Bank of North America. So, so Thomas Payne was bought off. Yeah. Um, and he got so bought off too. And it was within the snap of a fingers. We're talking about within a year's time. I know we're coming up on our hour. Um, just quickly, it's, it's uh, one minute you're speaking of um, – Come us all to arms, and then you're speaking of, oh, you're creating a bank? Well, yep. shit. Yep. Yeah, let me get in on that. So exactly. uh, next week, uh, we'll be covering uh, probably part one, because it's a long-ass chapter. Uh, a, it's called A Kind of Revolution. And um, if you like the show, uh, you know, like and subscribe on YouTube. Uh, smash that like button. I can't believe I just <laughs> said that. I'm sorry. Um, but go to patreon.com slash revolutionary roulette if you like the work you do you want to throw a couple bucks to support the show um you know we're, we're actually paying to put this out because we're on uh we're streaming on twitch as well so uh revolutionary roulette uh on patreon and um you could even go and support the show for 99 cents on anchor.fm 99 cents will get you all the bonus stuff um so it's it's not much dollar you know 99 cents uh a month and uh, email us the show. If you have any questions, uh, Dan, I'm all the uh, money goes to helping me save my brain cells and not speak idiotically throughout this podcast. It's a great investment. 
Uh, yeah, I mean, we're, we're going to need uh, trillions in uh, support money for that. But the no. defense budget. <laughs> but we have we already have a, you know five dollars thanks to you know shout out to to Mike D, um, our, our first Patreon supporter. And uh, if we ever get more uh, Patreon supporters, um, we'll have like a, a a patron party or something and, and read off your names at the uh, you know somewhere in the middle of the of the broadcast. So that's all I got. I appreciate you uh, taking us home. Like I, like Rob said, uh, any questions about the show, um, email us at revolutionaryruga at gmail.com. And uh, you can get a hold of us at our socials that we are uh, established early in the show. Thank you for listening. We appreciate each and every one of you. We do. Thanks, folks.